Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things. In the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. This morning in the story of God, God reveals to us his name. The name given consists of repeated verb, the repeated verb to be. Translated, I am who I am. Another translation that, that I prefer, uh, that gives more meaning, I believe, I will be who I am. I am who I will be. The force is not simply that God is or even that God is present, but that God will be faithfully God for us. We do not have to be concerned about God changing. We can count on God to be who God is. Faithful, powerful, giver of all good things. Years ago, I trained to become a caregiver to people in the community who were in distress, in, in difficulties in life. The training was pretty thorough, and one example of a lesson uh, came to me while I was reading over and pondering this text. My instructor told us to imagine our care receiver to be in a pit or a deep hole. And she asked us, how are you going to get that person out of the hole? And of course, I blurted out rashly, jump in and hoist them up out. And I think she was waiting for somebody to say that because she went, no, 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 you do not do that. You do not jump into the hole with them. You get on the rim, you kneel down, extend your hand and pick them up. Or otherwise you're like a person going into the ocean when somebody's drowning and you don't have any gear, you're going to drown with them. Now that's good advice for a human-to-human -human encounter. But today's Exodus text raises up our eyes out of the human-to-human -human realm. And it, this morning's lesson takes us to see the otherworldliness of God. We see a theophany. A theophany is a visible manifestation of God coming to humans. I hope this morning that we'll see that we have a God who loves us so much that he jumps into the hole, into that pit that we're in, and he wraps himself around us and is so powerful enough that he can lift us up out of that pit into his purposes for our life through the power of his Holy Spirit. You know, it's easy to forget the name of the Lord in the midst of a world that is enraptured by its own power. It's easy to forget his powerful presence and to forget his mission of salvation, not only to ourselves, but to the entire creation. The world that we live in is wrought with pitfalls, but we serve a God who has come down to lift us up for his glory. Last week, Josh mentioned that we were in season two of God's story of his world. 
In season one, Genesis, God decreed that humanity be fruitful and multiply. He promised in 12.2 that he would make Abram a great nation and he would bless Abram and make his name great amongst all the people so that he would be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. In season two, episode one, Abraham's seed is living in Egypt, being fruitful and multiplying. They're living under the promise of God, the blessing of God, the blessing of multiplication, carrying out the promises of God. And Pharaoh, who doesn't know Joseph or Joseph's God, unknowingly challenges not only the people, but God, the God of the people. Pharaoh challenges God's faithfulness to his people. He challenges God's faithfulness to his word to bless the whole world through his people. So we watch the antagonist, Pharaoh, and all the power that is behind him create the main conflict for this next episode. In season two, episode two, we find Moses keeping his flock, a stranger in Midian, he was raised by a Hebrew house in a Hebrew, I'm sorry, he was raised in an Egyptian household and the Egyptians wanted to kill him. He was born a Hebrew and the Hebrews weren't happy with him. Moses was an alien. He was a foreigner, an outsider, a stranger in every way possible. He's living on the run. In Midian, he's gone from being the son of of a daughter of the Pharaoh, the most powerful political and religious leader, rich beyond anything any of us can imagine, to being a shepherd, the lowliest profession. In fact, Egyptians, they, they were vegetarians. They only raised cattle for milk and for wool. So it was a despised um, profession. And here he is doing exactly what his most despised by the people he was raised with. He's outside tending the herd of his, of his father-in-law. It's not his herd. He's a wage earner for his father-in-law. Moses is living a life as a lowly shepherd amongst a foreign people whom he's agreed to dwell with. Looking at Moses' life, I would say he's in the pit. Right? Well, when our scene opens, he's tending the flock. He's keeping them on the path when the angel of the Lord appears to him. The angel is actually God. He doesn't know it's God, but he sees a fire. Now, he doesn't stop because he sees the fire. What stops him is the supernatural, the supernatural. This fire is over a bush, and it's not consuming the bush. This flaming bush is actually flashing Moses, flashing him, flashing him to get his attention, God, because God wants to connect with Moses. Moses in the pit isn't looking for God. God is making all the effort to attract Moses' attention. And when he succeeds, he cries out, Moses, Moses. That's, that's the, the urgency of the, of the word. He is after Moses' attention. And when he gets it, Moses, Moses responds, here am I. Now, what I want us to notice about this encounter, this theophany, is it is not a one-sided show of God's power and command and his dominance, but it's one of disclosure. 
acknowledgement, articulation, a picture of a healthy relationship. God has descended into the realm of human living, not to condescend, not to command, but to collaborate. Moses in the pit, then hears the voice. Don't come near. Take your sandals off, Moses, for the place that you're standing, it's holy ground. I lived in Japan, and when you walk into a home, there's always a place to take your shoes off, and then you step up into the living space. You take your, when taking those, those shoes off and stepping in, you're entering into their private space. God wants Moses to enter into his private space, holy and sacred, intimate and pure. The word holy here implies the innermost part of the holy of holies. The holy of holies was that place in the tabernacle and later the temple that is reserved for the presence of God. It's surrounded in the tabernacle by thick veil and in the temple. It's what ripped when Jesus was on the cross and died. Inside there is the Ark of the Covenant. It's the mercy seat. And only the, holy, the, only the high priest could go in once a year. So Moses, entering into God's holy space, his, his place of his private space, takes his shoes off. And God begins their conversation by revealing to Moses who he is. I am the God of your father. He says, your father, that's his birth father. I'm the God of your father. The God of your father is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hides his face in reverence. He hides his face, but he's still listening. I've heard the cry of my people, Moses. I know their suffering. I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians into my bosom. And Moses, I want you to be the human who will go to Pharaoh and bring my people out. Now Moses knows all too well the plight of the people and he also knows the, the power of the Pharaoh. I can only imagine Moses taking his hands off of his face at this point and speaking into the fire. Who am I? Who am I that I can do this? Now, my preference, if I was Moses at that point, would be for God to say, well, Patricia, you've got it inside you. I put you everything you need. You go, girl. Get on going. But God doesn't answer Moses that way. God doesn't answer Moses by telling Moses who Moses is. Instead, he jumps into the pit with Moses and he says, I will be with you. I'll be with you. And Moses, this is going to be a sign that I'm with you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you're going to bring them back right here to this mountain and you will worship me on this mountain. In other words, you're going to have to have faith. Moses, you're not going to get the sign until the end. Even Moses has to walk in faith. Now notice here, the answer, this answer God gives, has, says nothing about Moses. It says everything about God. 
God will be present with Moses in his task. And it also promises victory, but it is a victory of God. It is a victory of God in which Moses will play an instrumental role, but he's not the operative power. That's how it always is with God. He is the power. The battle is his church. Who are we? I'll be with you. Next question. What's your name, God? What's your name? Moses isn't asking for a proper name. He's not asking for a verbal label, label for God. What Moses wants to know is the character and the competency of God. Can he rely on the God who said, I will be with you? I think they're good questions. Who am I to go up against Pharaoh? And if you're going to be with me, do you have the power to be successful? Those are all really good questions. And he says, say to this people, when Moses says, what's your name? Say to this people, Israel, the Lord, the Lord, the God of your fathers has sent me. Now, up to this point, Moses nor the Israelites have know this name, Lord. In Exodus 6, 3, it says, But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. God uses this new name, Yahweh, to reveal to Moses and to his people this new role of God, this new name. And it means Savior, Redeemer deliverer. This saving role will be God's chief characteristic from this point on in every episode and in every season to the end of the story. We see this savior, redeemer, deliverer culminate in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent his son who jumped into to jump into the pit to get us out. It's interesting to me that God came to Moses in a fire. There's another place where God comes to us in a fire. Pentecost. When tongues of fire rained down on those who had just witnessed Jesus' life and ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. They waited as Jesus had told them to wait for the power that was on high, and it did. It came, tongues of fire, wrapped them in the presence of and in the strength of God to rise up out of the pit of fear and oppression, depression, degradation, slavery. It gave them the courage to live and to go forth on, in God's mission. Sitting here today, I know that most of us are experiencing, or if we're not, we know someone who's experiencing life in the pits in some way, shape, or form. Be it a medical diagnosis that brings you face to face with the mortal your own mortality or the mortality of your loved one, the loss of a dearly beloved one. And you're just live, trying to live day by day, putting one foot in front of another. 
the loss of a job. Who are you and where where are you going to go? The betrayal of someone who's close to you. The death of a dream. The loss of your home to a natural disaster. The loss of your independence. A broken relationship that is just so far broken that there is no way you can see that it can ever be repaired. Life in an addiction that you just can't seem to kick. Being scared that you're just not enough for what lies ahead. Or being scared of what lies ahead. Jesus said, come unto me all you who travail and are heavy laden and I will refresh you. The Lord never leaves us, never forsakes those who are his own. God's fire, that fire that doesn't scorch but is pure, is here to stay and is near to us. God's answer to Moses is our answer. Who am I, God? I will be with you. Who are you, God? I am the Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Deliverer. I am who I will be, and I will be who I am. Faithful, powerful, giver of all good things. God is not on the rim dear saints, putting his hand down to help us up. He is right here in the midst of wherever you find yourself today. Wherever you are today, his Holy Spirit of fire is burning bright. It's burning bright. He wants us to take off our shoes and receive his deliverance. Amen.